Welcome to Happiness and Inside Job. This is episode 73, A Lesson in Healing with Warren Henry. And I'm your host, Connie Atkinson. Happiness and Inside Job is the go-to resource for Christian parents wanting to effectively communicate with teenage and young adult children utilizing powerful life coaching skills. What if I told you your children don't need to change anything in order for you to have a fulfilling relationship with them? You can change everything about your relationships with others by merely changing the way you think about them. Imagine the power you find when you stop depending on others for change and you create the change. Suddenly, you stop being the victim and you become the hero of your life. So last week, I promised everybody a interview with my brother-in-law, Warren, who is a recent amputee, and we recorded a podcast, which was fabulous, and somehow technology got the better of my computer, and here we are for round two. So I'm pretty sure this one is going to be even better than the first one. Hopefully it sticks this time. I mean, I'm just not sure if we've seen enough of each other lately, Warren. We definitely haven't seen each other like we used to. Wow, that was six weeks of a lot of together time for sure. Yeah, crazy on one side and beneficial on the other side, don't you think? You know, it's interesting how things that you could never, situations that I could never imagine, they really, looking back, they really were awesome and sweet memories that I wouldn't change for anything. I mean, I wouldn't pick it for anything, but I wouldn't change it for anything either. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Connie. So let's start by just telling everybody briefly what happened to you. So here you are, healthy guy out doing your job, and your job at the time this happened was delivering mail. So why don't you briefly tell everybody what happened back on was May 26th, right? Yep, almost four months ago now. Um, Yeah, I was actually substituting for a route for a little lady. She's my, we call it the secondary, and so I do it fairly often. But she had had knee surgery and asked that I just take it over, so I did. And I was a couple of weeks into it, and that particular day I, I was halfway through my route, and stopped at um, some, they're called collection box units. I was in my van. We use our van for rural routes, and it was loaded down with uh, half of the mail because I had already done half. Anyway, I had these CBUs all unlocked and open. There were four of them, and, and I had just turned to my van and picked up a a bucket, we call it, or a box full of mail so that I could start shoving it in slots when I got shoved from behind into my van by a little white car. Um, It had come out of the lanes of traffic and on this 35-mile-per-hour road had pinned me between my static van and that actually had the emergency brake on and 
and pushed me along for about 20 feet. And all I remember, well, I remember some of it fairly vividly, but I, as I fell to the left-hand side, I looked up and I saw the white bumper coming at me and I had this premonition to not allow the wheel to run over my head. So I actually put my right arm up and pushed against that bumper. And as I pushed against the bumper, I don't know if it was adrenaline or what, but it would shove me along the asphalt in front of the car so that uh, I wasn't going to get run over by the wheels. And that was kind of the way I felt was I got to protect my head. So um, when we stopped, I was in excruciating pain and I was, I was initially kind of in shock, but I was definitely yelling. I'm not the profane type, but I was yelling in voz uh, alto, they call it in Spanish. How do we say that in English? I was yelling at the top of my lungs, and, and at that very first point, I'll be honest with you, I was reaching out to God because... There I was laying on the asphalt. It had just happened. I was in this pain that just was relentless. And all I could think about was, there's really, <laughs> there's really, really nobody that can help me right this instant. Then my Heavenly Father. And so that's who I, I respectfully <laughs> yelled to. And was trying to just let him know that I was super open to any help that he could give me right then. And um, as I lay there, uh, I noticed a pair of, of arms come down. I could see them out of my peripheral vision. And I could see the tattoos along the one arm. And they came down once and then disappeared. And then they came down a second time and then they disappeared. And... I knew it was the driver, um, but uh, he apparently couldn't help me. And uh, so I kind of got up from my waist. I could, at least I could sit up, and I saw that my left leg, I could see both legs had had, were broken, but my left leg was, I just call it, it, it looked like a curly fry to me because it was twisted and my shoe was gone and my foot, although I was laying on my back, that my toes were pointed to the asphalt and my heel was up. So I knew that it was bad. But <laughs> thank goodness I had another premonition and it was you might be able to have less pain if you untwist your leg. So I grabbed my foot <laughs> and I untwisted it. And then I laid back down on my back and sure enough, it, it had given me some relief. So, hey, if it works once, right? So I got back up, I sat back up, I grabbed my foot again, untwisted it, laid back down on my back and, and it still was excruciating, but it wasn't anything like it was. So I figured that that was a pretty good strategy I'd been given. and So I got back up, untwisted it again, and I had this pretty clear impression that as soon as the EMTs got there, they were going to make me hold still, obviously. And so 
after the third time untwisting my leg, it just gave me that much more relief. And uh, just very shortly thereafter, a couple, thank goodness for them, they were outside doing some gardening at the corner house, and uh, they come running over, and I could hear her on the telephone calling 911, and and he knelt down to me. (laughs) And he just did some simple things that made all the difference for me. I was laying on the asphalt, and the first thing he did was said something like, here, let me help you. And he put his hands on under my head, between my head and the asphalt, so that I had kind of a cushion. And I was staring straight into the sun. So he said, let me see if I can shade you a little. So he actually, he this man's on his knees on the asphalt. And he just moved forward. <laughs> and he became my shade. And those were two things that... In all my agony, I I didn't think about, but he could see that I was in distress. And those couple of things really brought a lot of comfort in a situation that was pretty bad at that point. And yeah, I was I was still screaming, but this time I wasn't screaming at God. I was just trying to be clean in my words as I screamed. <laughs> I think most people would agree that it is pretty miraculous that no four-letter swear words came out of your mouth in that moment. said lots of darns. Because just, I mean, just to be clear, your back was to oncoming traffic, and the driver, who we found out later was high on morphine, he pinned your legs between two bumpers going 35 miles an hour, and there were no skid marks, so the guy never even attempted to stop. And he hit your car so hard that even a van with an emergency brake on being hit by a sedan flew forward 20 feet. And in the end, three of the four tires were up on the curb. So that was a pretty tremendous force that you got hit with. And you never said a swear word. And all you did was cry to God for help. And the help that he sent you came in the form of a sweet man who provided shade and provided a cushion for your head. I think it's so interesting. So often when things happen, we always want to help. We have the best of intentions, but knowing how to help is one of our biggest struggles in life. And I think it's so interesting how some of the simplest acts of kindness, or they may seem simple to the giver, are the ones that meant the most to you. So this nice man who came quickly and without thinking put his knees and sacrificed his comfort for yours. Now also, what were some other things that people did for you and for your family that really meant the most? While I was in surgery initially and in ICU, I was really not conscious of much. And when I was conscious... Um, I just knew that there was always something there, somebody there at my side. And and literally at that very beginning point, I couldn't move myself. I didn't move my head. Um, I was just constantly in pain on some level. And uh, Mary, my wife, said later that uh, she would come and there would be this nurse that was just 24-7 
in the room and she was like a busy bee. She'd go from one piece of equipment to another and attend to stuff on me on the bed itself and then be back with the machines and I was never left alone for those first few days in the ICU and um, I'm telling you, it just started to kind of open my eyes to a couple of things that I was being taught that I I needed to accept help. And that's pretty hard for a 53-year-old who thinks he's kind of got life by the you know, strings and we're becoming empty nesters and trying to readjust who we are. And so we're making plans for us as a couple and um, to all of a sudden just not being able to do anything except for literally sometimes weep when I was in pain um, to let the nurses know that I needed some help. So I needed to let people help me. And beyond that, I really, I spent four weeks in that uh, 11th floor trauma unit. <laughs> and I'd always heard about trauma accidents and trauma departments. But when you're a trauma patient, you understand fully <laughs> what those people do. They, uh, they moved me. They repositioned me. They cleaned up my messes of all types. Um, I had never been so vulnerable in my life. And um, so, yeah, I was being taught to just be patient like I'd never been patient before. And so I started feeling like these people are, are angels that are just right here, right around me. And uh, it made all the difference to have these aides and nurses. And then when Mary would come and you would come, Connie, when sometimes when Mary was there and sometimes when she wasn't, and you guys filled those spots. Uh, I was especially grateful for nurses and even phlebotomists who came at the oddest hours to poke me and take blood because they were filling kind of the voids in the darkness because I'd, I'd become conscious or they would wake me up and say, I'm sorry, I've got to take some blood. And uh, it was just a chance for me to have some interaction when I was at a very, very low point, you know, emotionally. And I was embarrassed and I was, I mean, you name it, I was always exhausted, but I still was not moving myself. And so at the end of four weeks... These folks had me reusing my arms and I was able to bend at the waist again and and uh, move my neck and head, thank goodness, without injury. And um, my physical therapist that I had been warned about, sure enough, they came in and they were my torture people. But they got me to one day being able to just dangle my legs off the side of the bed because it was all I could do to uh, just do simple things. And um, my occupational therapist got me to start thinking about brushing my teeth on my own again and brushing my hair. And um, when I left that 11th floor, I was feeling like I was leaving family because they had just jumped in on all those little things that uh, make a huge difference and as they would teach 
Mary and Connie, um, you know, kind of what they were doing and why. When they were out of the room, it was Mary and Connie who were taking those over. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I learned a whole bunch about who I was and that, you know what, I didn't, I didn't know everything in life. And obviously I must have lessons that need to be learned. You do need to tell everyone what your hospital room looked like. How was it decorated? Yeah. One day Mary came in. Uh, um, she usually came in in the morning and spent pretty much the entire day with me. And she came in one day and said, um, I have a present for you. And she was carrying a box. And um, anyway, one of the ladies from the neighborhood where I was hit, and mind you, I'm a substitute, but I had been doing it long enough that I, was, I had started talking to some people, but I didn't know everybody. But this lady had, out of the kindness of her heart and with her imagination, had said, what can we do to help? There really wasn't anything for them to do except for to say some prayers for me and keep me in their thoughts, which was super helpful. <laughs> but uh, she had put a box out in front of her house that said, letters to Warren. <laughs> and um, all kinds of neighbors, people <laughs> had... Uh, done these handwritten drawings from the little kids and well wishes and cards and one lady had painted me these a picture of some beautiful it looked like this Japanese painting but she had painted these flowers and on the back had written something like I didn't know if they'd let you know let you have real flowers in the hospital so I painted you these and uh, I mean it was just not a dozen I probably pulled out 30 or 40 of these cards and papers. And my sweet wife brought some masking tape and uh, she started putting them on the walls. And that was an emotional day. I, I just couldn't help the tears as um, I pulled card after card after paper after paper out of that box for, from people that I did not know personally, but who felt like they needed to somehow brighten my day. And they did more than that. There would be times when I would wake up then at night, and by then I didn't have a 24-7 nurse, but when I was by myself, I could, I could see all of these wonderful cards and uh, pictures and, and well wishes and they were plastered all over the walls of the hospital room and, and they would help fit that spiritual gap when I was by myself before Mary would come and uh, so yeah that was an incredible day and I kind of had a similar day when my neighborhood family and, and uh, church family did something similar. All of a sudden I got this huge bundle of mail and it was little kids and, and adults and there were cards and well wishes and, and again, hand handmade pictures and, and it was another time that I just, I couldn't hold back the tears <laughs> because uh, they felt helpless and they thought all we can do is brighten his day for one day, but it didn't do that. <laughs> It brightened my day for weeks.
I mean, I was there for a long time, and I I needed that extra boost every day, and and was able, thank goodness, to receive it because of those those family members who had helped from those two neighborhoods. You can never underestimate the power that a tribe pulling for you has. I mean, people's kindness was physically represented by your your entire hospital room by the time you were done was plastered. I remember nurses and orderlies and everyone who came in commented. And they would say, I don't even know that many people. You you must be a really popular guy. This is amazing. And it was just incredible, the love that was represented on the walls of that hospital room. And one thing we have to talk about here, Warren, is that it was a hospital room. You were in incredible, incredible amounts of pain. But walking into that room, there was a different spirit as you walked through that door. And and nurses and orderlies would also comment on the spirit that was in that room. And it was very much like your own temple, like your own spiritual sanctuary. I don't even know how else to describe it, but it was very, the difference in that room as you walked in was almost palpable. And I know that that all began, you mentioned the driver of the other car only briefly, and really all you saw were his arms. But I believe in the in that very moment when you saw his arms, you decided to forgive him. I know forgiveness is something that a lot of us struggle with. Can you speak to that forgiveness and your desire to forgive and to forgive immediately? I guess I'd have a couple of things to say about that. Sorry. I saw his arms came down. I knew his, his heart was in the right place, but his head was not. Um, one of the early on lessons that I was taught was we really do need to keep ourselves physically and mentally in a in a state that we can help people. And for those two simple things that this neighbor man did for me, the driver had no clue. He didn't have he didn't have the inspiration uh, to just help him any way you can. But that's the lesson that I learned um, was keep yourself in a state where you can be of help, especially during a, a fairly traumatic occurrence, right? But also, when his arms came down, I just felt the spirit come over me. And I've had enough positive examples in my life. To kind of have a conversation with myself. And I just said. Who do I want to be? Do I want to be a. A bitter. Old curmudgeon for the rest of my life. That. Doesn't have anything good to say about anybody. And especially the driver. It would destroy not just the relationship I had. With my heavenly father. But I feel like it would have probably destroyed my family relationships. And. <laughs> Those are the the dearest ones that I have on earth. So I just said to myself, 
Is that who you want to be? And I didn't. I wanted to be... I wanted to be free of that grief and uh, distress and anger. And uh, I just didn't want it to hang over my head. So I kind of said a prayer and said, Father, I need you again. This time I need you to help me. Please forgive him. I forgive him. And uh, help me in my recovery. Help me to concentrate on what I can control. And uh, please help him because he knows he's made a mistake and it's grave enough that uh, to his credit, after he did that, uh, even though apparently he threw stuff over a fence, which later on we knew what it was, but he sat down on the grass and waited for the authorities to come. So, yeah, I just, I had to look ahead, I guess, and say, you have had so many incredible examples in your life that you want to be about those positive ones. You do not want to be the ones that just destroy every single relationship that you have. And uh, that was not worth it to me. So I had to, I just had this feeling that I needed to let it go. And as soon as I did, there was, even though I was not standing up, there was a, an actual lightning of the spirit. And, um, and I knew that that was that load being lifted off my shoulders and um, it was taken from me. So, yeah, I, I don't harbor any ill feelings towards him. But obviously I'm interested that uh, he not be back driving because if I was losing a leg, uh, it was only the precursor to someone losing their life. And... So it turned out later to be a good thing. Within 24 hours, our postmaster in Lehigh, he and a couple of people went to that very site and actually unbolted the four CBUs and turned them so that they were just simply facing the sidewalk. And, and that would, at minimum, keep uh, those who were retrieving the mail because when I got that flood of cards, I just thought... These are some of the very kids that a mother or a dad wouldn't, wouldn't even have a second thought about pulling the mailbox keys out of the cupboard, handing them to their 10-year-old or their 8-year-old or their 12-year-old and saying, will you run and get the mail real quick? But that meant that those kids would be standing in the street to uh, pull their mail. And I just, I, I, that scares me even more than the, the missing the leg is is what he could do in the future. And so part of his lesson is going to be a hard one, obviously. And I don't know what that's going to be, but I hope the best for him. So I love that question you asked yourself is a really important one. I feel like all of us could benefit from asking ourselves that same question. Who do I want to be? And it's a conscious decision that each one of us make every day of our lives, every hour of our lives. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? Another question that you asked over and over during your recovery is, I mean, your circumstances were what they were. That you always asked every physical therapist, every doctor, what can I do to aid in my healing? And it was such a positive focus for you because instead of focusing on all the things that you had no control over, you got to give yourself yourself 
focus that you did have control over. So tell us what you did control. I think I asked that question. I have to be honest. Part of it was uh, a little bit selfish. These people had, uh, as I talked about, had taken me from being just this rock that couldn't move, full of pain and and tears and... um, had taken me to a place where I was using my limbs again. I was sitting up. I was looking forward to actually getting up out of bed on a, a walker or on a wheelchair at least. And um, so part of me said, how can I take a burden off of their shoulders? These CNAs would come in and they were just amazing. And I finally had to start asking them, how is it that you come in every single day And initially they were just cleaning up my messes and it was not pretty. And I was embarrassed and in a state where I just couldn't help them. But I'll tell you, that was one of those things that I determined I wanted to take that burden off of them. And so I would ask that question occasionally, mostly because I really wanted to help them. I wanted to try and take a burden off of them and and so that when they came in, while they were checking on me, we could have just a conversation. And, and uh, I really made it a conscious, made conscious effort to uh, thank every single person that came into my room. In fact, every morning, about 7.30, this little cute Latin lady would come in. She was my housekeeper. And... Uh, we would have this conversation in Spanish about how's your family and, you know, and she'd ask me how mine was and she'd comment on the cards on the wall and I'd show off my family picture that Mary had brought and sit next to the TV and just every single person who came in was lifting a burden off of me by giving me an opportunity to have that familial interaction and um, so yeah I was really I was trying to take burdens off of them because as I learned new skills I didn't want to go back to where I was Um, and you're right I only had control over so very little that whenever they would teach me one more skill uh, I would try and latch on to it the problem was back then my memory was so bad Um, simple things like brushing your hair and brushing your teeth every day, they'd have to remind me constantly. And and so eventually I got to the point where I tried to make a conscious effort every day to say, what is it you do in the morning, Warren? And what did you used to do? And so I'd start remembering back beforehand. And so, yeah, I think I was trying to take burdens off of uh, my caretakers as much as possible. So in watching you, you always used your old, your new tricks in the next day's work. You always made sure to reinforce what you had learned by keep doing it. And you also were really religious about counting your grams of protein. <laughs> that was one of the things that the doctors told you you had control over was your protein. So whether you, you weren't eating a lot, especially at first... But man, once they told you 150 grams of protein is the goal, I don't think there's a single day you didn't get it. So obviously the severity of this trial is hopefully one that not too many people can relate to. But whether 
our trials are big or little, we all are confronted with trials in our lives. And I love the attitude you approached it with. What can I do to help in my healing? And then the other question you asked yourself a lot was, who do I want to be? Both of those are such powerful questions. Who do I want to be and what can I do to make my situation better? It's so easy to get in this cycle of feeling like the victim and wanting to blame things that we don't love about our lives on other people. But those two questions give us such power to focus on what is in our control. And I just have to share something that my sister Mary said as well. One time, shortly after you lost your leg, I, I think we all shed a lot of tears and that was a really hard, difficult time. And I turned to Mary and I said, you seem like you're handling this so well. Please tell me what your mindset is and how you can, how you can deal with this situation with such grace. And she said to me, I look at it as temporary. I love, love, love that idea. And I've thought so much about this idea of this is just temporary. And suddenly in my head, I thought, yeah, you get your leg back the day my husband gets his hair back. And I know that that's maybe a silly comparison, but it's, it's true. It's just although it may be temporarily inconvenient, it's not an eternal thing. In fact, I love this idea of temporal versus eternal so much. I, there may be a podcast coming on this really soon. Are there any thoughts that you want to share that you have learned as, as you have made your way through this trial? Well, his hair and my leg are just one more thing to look forward to then, right? And uh, he'll run up to me and I'll run up to him and I'll notice his hair and he'll notice that I'm on my own two legs again. So that'll be a good day. Um, I did notice that that with some time my prayers changed in the hospital and uh, <laughs> I, I was bugging God at the oddest hours for me at least. Maybe not to him, but uh, pretty much every day. He was getting these far-flung prayers, sometimes more sincere, sometimes more help me, help me, I need it now. And and they they changed. Um, as I started, in my mind, serving those who were around me by taking burdens off of their patient responsibilities with me, um, I started so much more, especially after the cards came and they started going up on my walls. Uh, I said so many more grateful prayers towards the end that they they kind of changed my attitude again uh, in that uh, I didn't have to any longer dwell on what if or what would have happened or I didn't even ask the question why me because it would come into my I don't know how to say it, except for it would come into my my human brain, that question, and immediately be shoved out by, uh, this is just going to be for a short time. And it is. It's a, That's a doctrine that is very, very comforting, that everything we do right now and who we are right now is temporary, um, but the things will change 
for the better, no matter what. But us, as people, we have to kind of figure out who we want to be every single day, like we were talking about, because that's what we take into the next life. And I really do want to be with my family and my extended family and my neighborhood family and anybody else I can get with me in uh, in that next life. So, um, yeah, prayer for me changed immensely and um, having opportunities in my mind to serve made a huge difference. And then the gratitude prayers made a, another huge difference for me. Well, I know this was a hard story for you to tell once, and here I've made you tell it twice. Thank you, technology, but thank you so much. I, I feel like my two biggest takeaways from this conversation are questions that I constantly want to be reevaluating for myself. What can I do to make my situation better? And who do I want to be? And another great takeaway is how can I lighten the loads of those around me. Warren, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much for coming back week after week. Thank you for sharing the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And as always, you can find me on www.happiness-andinsidejob.com. I'll see you next week.